0: Welcome back to the podcast. We are going to dive back into our Keep the Fires Burning study, a study of the minor characters of the Bible. But before we get into that, I want to let you guys know a little bit about the ministry here at Evidence for Faith. If you've been with us for the last few weeks or even for the whole last season, uh, you know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, Evidence for Faith is a lot more than just this podcast. Uh, We do a lot of speaking engagements. We do um, some specialty trips, and we publish all of our resources for free for anybody who wants to study the Bible and dive deeper. And we are only able to do that because we are 100% donor supported. Early on in this ministry, Michael and I made a decision that uh, we never wanted to charge someone to hear the gospel. So as much as we could do this for free, we wanted to do it for free. The nice thing about donor support is that you can give as little or as much as you want, however you're financially blessed or however uh, you want to fit that in your financial planning. So we are looking for... um, ongoing support, so whether that's monthly, quarterly, or however you want to arrange that with your financial planning. Um, But if you also want to just give one-time gifts, we also do that as well. And that really helps us cover those little bits every month that are not uh, covered by uh, monthly donors. Uh, so if you'd like to give uh, today to help support uh, our ministry, you can go to evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number for faith.org slash give. Or you can scroll down to the description of this podcast and you'll find that link as the top link in the description to give either online or you can also send, uh, you can send money through the mail. Um, so with that, I'm going to let Michael take it away here with Keep the Fires Burning. And today we get to meet Jehodiah.
1: and welcome to evidence for faith it's your host michael lane so glad you're joining me today as we explore another minor bible character in our series on keep the fires burning now these are minor bible characters biblical characters that we can learn a major lesson uh, from and helping us to keep our walk with god going strong and today's character joaida is his name, and you're probably sitting there like, who? Uh, Jehoiada. Yes, um, his story is found in Second Chronicles chapter 22 through chapter 24, and the lesson that is going is he's going to be teaching us today is about um, from his life about accountability partners. What happens when no one holds you accountable? So, sit back. Listen if you're at work, um, or if, uh, hopefully if you're not driving in a car, you know, and close your eyes or whatever. But hope you stay with me on this as we go through this really interesting lesson and what we can learn from Jehoiada from the Old Testament. But I want to tell you a story first. You know, some years ago I worked at a school that had—that re- repeatedly had very low test scores uh, in both the ACT and the SAT. Now this is high school, uh, so I've taught in all different grades, but mostly I spent my time in high school. Um, You see, at this school, the, the students, they just didn't perform to their potential. And to say that really is sort of an understatement. And it seemed to really bother the principal. So I applied to teach at the school, and I didn't know really anything about the school, but this is what this principal was telling me. The students just don't perform to their potential, and our test scores are really low. So when I came for an interview to teach biology there, the principal told me about these low test scores, and I asked him what he thought the problem might be. And he responded, that this is what he said. He says, I have too many teachers on tenure, who are not teaching to their potential. Um, he seemed to say that there was not much he could do about it either since they were tenured. And I mean it is something that teachers strive for and I know that because I was a teacher for many many years. Uh, more than two decades I taught school and um, I know getting tenure was important because it's like job security and stuff but I have to agree with him. I've seen in my own uh, situation at schools where I've taught uh, some teachers that once they get tenure, they really lose like, shall we say, the eye of the tiger in their teaching. So he said there wasn't much you can do because he could do with this because the teachers were tenured. So I asked him if he could show me during this interview what the last few years of test scores were that he was alluding to. He reached over to a cabinet and pulled out a couple of files and proceeded to show me the scores. I I will admit that the scores were extremely low. Math was low. Uh, science, though, science was in the basement. It really was. It was in the basement. Um, and he looked me straight in the eye as we were doing this he leaned forward looked me straight in the eye and he said to me this if i hire you for this job to lead this department what can you do about these scores well i leaned back sitting down in my chair and um, i said that if you will do two things i think i can raise the scores in science anyway to be up about 10 percent in three years then i proceeded to say If you agree to my demands on this and the scores do not improve by at least 10% in three years, I'll resign my position. And he asked me what my two demands were. And I said, well, first of all, I needed a science budget um, that has some money in it. The current budget at the school was for science was $2,000, which... When you're talking about science equipment and science supplies, that's nothing. That is hardly anything. You can hardly buy, like, a couple of cases of beakers and your budget's gone. So I I told him, you're going to have to at least double your science budget um, before I can do anything. I said, no, it's going to be difficult because I know you've already turned in your budgetary requirements for next year. Your school board's already approved it, but you're going to have to try and scrounge up some more money somewhere. I said the second thing I needed for him was to observe me. Come into my class as often as possible. Even, I said, if you can just spare a few minutes, please just quietly come in, see what I'm doing. Well, he agreed, long story short, he agreed to my tour, my terms, and I was hired for the district. Though, he didn't come into my classroom as much as I really wanted him to. He often did stand outside the door so I could see him through the the glass in the doorway. But the students couldn't see him. But I could. And even at times when he didn't come in, he sent the assistant principal to come in and observe me, which I said, that's fine. You know, I I want this. Accountability was what I desired. So I want their input. These guys used to be teachers themselves. And I said, I want input. And he did observe me more than any of the other teachers in the school. And by doing this, I knew that I would be doing a better job if I knew I was being observed. Now, um, while I taught there, I also discovered that a a colleague of mine, another teacher, um, seldom did any teaching. I mean, really, he didn't. What he would basically do is he would walk um, around the room. When the class started, he would just walk around the room tell the students, take out your homework. And he would walk along just up and down the rows, just checking to see if they did the homework assignment. And if he did, he just marked it in his um, his grade book. He didn't grade it. He just marked it that they did their homework. And then he would go back um, to his desk and he would um, have the students then actually grade it themselves. They They would grade it. And he would ask the kids what the the grade was and he sat there and just put it into the text or into his grade book. Excuse me, just like that. After they did that, he simply assigned them to read the next section in the textbook, certain pages to read silently in class, and then he assigned problems at the end of the section for them to do uh, for homework. After that, um, after telling them all this, we're only a few minutes into the class. after doing that, he would just sit down at his desk and he would um, sit in his big chair and he opened up a novel and he would read a novel until the bell rang. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm I'm not kidding, this this really took place and actually I've seen this in more than one school. Um, in this case, this teacher and I, we often talked about um, things. We would sit at times and, and sit and talk with each other. And he one time said to me, um, and was asking questions about why the administrators, the principals at the school, were constantly observing me. Uh, he says they didn't, never come in and observe him. Of course, he said, I'm tenured, I know that, you're new here, but they, they never come in and observe me. Why am I always being observed? He, he actually thought at one point, he says, are you in trouble? Are, are you like under a probation or something, um, being observed that frequently? Because he said, that would just absolutely annoy me, having the principal come in and observe me. I told him that I asked for this. I asked for this treatment because I said I want them to hold me accountable. Well, I could tell from his facial expression, this guy thought I was nuts. Um, He would say that he he would never and could never be the teacher he is today if he was observed like that. Well, I no doubt agree with him. Um, Accountability is something that really helps us improve and develop, and not just in our occupation, but also in our spiritual lives. Having another Christian hold us accountable and walk alongside us can help us to grow and mature into stronger and more effective Christians. For more than two decades, I worked at a Christian camp also in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. And part of my job there was I was the spiritual leader for the uh, volunteer summer staff, and I taught their Bible lessons weekly. I would write a series, um, win buy a book and do that. I actually wrote a series each each spring um, so that we would use it throughout the summer. And I would teach them um, this material to help them uh face the outside world you know here in the christian camp and when they're there for the summer they're like in a christian bubble but once they leave that they've got to take their christianity out into the world so i tried to give them each each summer was a different curriculum i wrote and i would try to prepare them for taking their christian faith outside of camp into a fallen world and remain close to christ um because once they leave the comfortable christian environment that's where they go. And many of these are high school. Most of them are college students. And then what I also did is I kept in contact, and actually I still do, I keep in contact with many of them to help guide them after they left. And during the week, I would meet with them at certain times um, just um, for dinner or lunch or things like this. We would sit and we would talk and things, and I would sometimes have them over to my house and stuff. And my wife would make treats for them. Well, while working there, I noticed that many would grow strong in their faith during the summer from close contact that they had with great leaders on, on the staff at, at the camp who would guide them. Also, um, a few would guide them in additional Bible studies on their own um, throughout the week in uh, little simple, short little Bible studies. And I love to witness how during their stay at the camp, their spiritual their spiritual lives, just they would just thrive. But what alarmed me was that some, when they left the lush, cozy confines of the Christian environment they were in at the camp, they then experienced a drought, drying up their holy growth and making their spiritual life into like a vast Sahara desert. They just dried up. And that always alarmed me and that bothered me. And some would come back the next year and they would say, oh, so glad to be here again so I can sit, you know, and listen to some of your Bible teaching and um, they i have letters even just the other day I went through an old file i found and looking at letters that many of these students would write me uh, once they're back in school during the school year and like boy it's it's so difficult being here on a secular campus and and being around non-christians all the time and i'm i'm having a hard time with this and it was so easy when i was around other christians and help you know um, and, and working with them and helping them in certain departments and getting fed so much spiritual Spiritually, from from you and and from others, and how hard it is now. Well, that is true. That's that's not unusual. And again, God's word has a lesson here for us, and it concerns. I think we can take a lot from what this lesson we're going to talk about today helps us with this this whole thing of our spiritual growth and how to stay close to God. And it, um, we're going to find it's going to be about a guy like I say most people don't know. Um, but uh, this priest, but it also uh, revolves around a little boy king that most people who have grew up in Sunday school are going to recognize this little boy king who was saved by death, uh, from death, by his aunt. We're going to pick up the story in Second Chronicles. So if you have your Bibles and you're following along, or if you're just uh, listening, that's fine, because I read the passages. And we're going to be going um, primarily out of the English Standard Version, as usual, as we do this. So I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 10 through 12, to start off our story. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Azariah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. But... Jehoshabath, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Azariah, and stole him away among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus, Jehoshabath, daughter of King Jeroam, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, became Uh, because uh, she was a sister of Azariah, hid him from Athaliah, so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them for six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Okay, a lot of names in there. So basically what happened is this. The king died. Um, and the king's mother decided that she wanted to reign, so she's killing all of her grandkids, trying to take out all the male grandkids, and so that she would reign as queen. That's Athalia. She was a very evil person. Obviously, going around killing your grandkids is not something uh, socially acceptable, even in this period of time. But she went around murdering all these little boys and girl, or little boys, anyway, except one, um, an aunt— hid him in a bedroom, and um, this righteous aunt um, who was married to, who would be his uncle then, who was a priest, they hid him in the temple. And being that his nurse was hidden with him, we can assume that Joash, that's the young boy, King Joash, was hidden in the temple around the um, just toddler age, about the age of one. He was saved from death from the evil queen, his grandmother of all things. Now, something that could be overlooked here is that Athaliah, who did not worship God, I mean, that's just plain, um, she was an idol worshiper, tried to do more than just kill the rulers of Judah. You see, she's in the position, being the queen mother, um, she knows the prophecies and stuff, she's heard these about the Messiah going to come through the kings of of Judah. So she's, in fact, trying to destroy God's plan for the coming Messiah. She's a war with God. I mean, we often don't think about this, but this is an underlying part of this whole thing. She undoubtedly knew the Messianic prophecies and was attempting to destroy, to destroy the line of David forever. That was her purpose. Thus ending also Yahweh, or Yehovah, um, the true God's worship in Israel for all time. She wanted all that stopped. But I'll tell you, there's a lesson right there we can learn. Man cannot war with God and expect to win. I mean, who do, who does she think she really is? That she can alter God's plans? Uh, it doesn't happen like that. He is in control of everything. Anything she did did not catch God by uh, off guard. He knew everything and prepared everything. So as this popular Sunday school Sunday school story goes, when Joash reaches the age of seven years old, Jehoiada. The priest, his uncle, presents him as king in the temple. They blow the trumpets and inaugurate him as the as the new king. And wicked queen Athalia um, was taken out and killed in the royal stables among the manure. Uh, actually, that's quite a fitting end for such a person, who made the country smell in God's nostrils by taking away the worship of God totally. When um, Jehoiada does something special now with the new king and the people. Read what happens now as we go to 2 Chronicles 23, verses 16 through 19. Now this is very important what Jehoiada, this, his uncle, the high, or this priest, does there at the temple with this new boy king who's only seven years old. And we read, "...and Jehoiada made a con- uh, covenant between himself and all the people and the king, that they should be the Lord's people." then all the people went to the house of Baal and tore it down his altars and his images they broke in pieces and they killed Matan the priest of Baal before the altars and Jehoiada posted watchmen for the house of the Lord under the direction of the Levitical priests and the Levites whom David had organized to be in charge of the house of the Lord to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing according to the order of David, he stationed the gatekeepers at the t- gates of the house of the Lord, so that no one should enter who was in any way unclean. So, what happens here? Well, Athalia has been disposed of. Jehoiada makes uh, brand new spiritual reforms immediately. He's guiding this seven-year-old toddler, or I shouldn't say toddler, he's an adolescent boy here at this point, but he's guiding him to reestablish a covenant to be the Lord's people. Now, they just don't say this with their words, as sometimes we read in other Bible stories, but their actions, the people got into this. They go over and they destroy the temple of Baal. They execute the high priest of this idol, Matan, they kill him uh joash little little small king joash then follows god's command about temple worship and he reinstates the levites and the priests to their duties as commanded in the torah by moses and also followed up with what david had done then he sets out to repair the temple of god and clean it up as the story keeps going you'll see he starts to do this temple repair so So goes the popular Bible story. A lot of times we just end the story right there. We don't want to go any further because, wow, that's such a cool thing, how God saved this little boy. And um, using him, the people go back um, under this priest and this new king. The people go back and they worship the true God and clean up the temple. Wow, nice happy ending. Well... uh, The story doesn't really end there. Um, It continues with some good things, but it has a very strange twist at the end. We often don't like to teach in Sunday school. You see, this is what it is. As long as the priest and uncle Jehoiada was alive, King Joash followed God's command. The influence of his uncle on him was instrumental concerning this. The influence, in other words, of one person on another is absolutely amazing. I have witnessed this myself hundreds of times. Sometimes the influence can be extremely positive. Uh, A teacher should be a positive influence on his students or her students. That's why, for one reason, teaching is a very noble calling. At least it should be. It used to be. I have gone to other countries, and when people find out uh, when I go there in their culture and they found out that I was a teacher, I'm treated with great respect just because I am a teacher. Um, It's a noble calling. It's not for everyone. Someone has said, there's an old cliche, those who can teach. Those who can't go into another less significant occupation. Now, that's a cute little statement, but actually, I believe that's, in a lot of ways, that's true. And that maybe is why national news often carries stories of when a teacher stumbles or plunges into an appalling situation. It should be that way, because only parents influence more people than teachers do, Um, particularly in the family. The parents, most important. Teacher, though, very important. So I don't think anybody should just be a teacher. Um, I remember back when, when I was in school studying to be a teacher, we had to, uh, you just didn't uh, apply to the, ed, um, the education department and you're automatically a teacher. You were actually, you were examined. Um, the, the professors at the university actually uh, looked at your profile and stuff to see if you qualified to be a teacher. So it's an honorable and noble profession, it is. Now let's pick up the story here in Second Chronicles chapter 24, and let's look at the first four verses to see where we're going with this. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada got for him two wives, and he had sons and daughters. After this, Joash decided to restore the house of the Lord. Now, I want to focus, first of all, on verse 2. Of this passage. And this time I'm going to read it uh, from a different translation. Let's let's go to the God's Word translation for just a second and take a look at what it says here. Joash did what the Lord considered right as long as the priest Jeoida lived. Now there it is. It's very plain out of the God's Word translation, very easy to understand. You should have noticed that young Joash had an accountability partner. If you study the life of King Joash, you're going to discover that his uncle, Jehoiada, this priest, had a major influence on him. Now, just for um, lesson facts here and uh, to, to get deep into this, let's see, what are these, uh, these influences? What did he do? Well, there's a number, about nine of these, actually. Uh, first, Jehoiada raised him in the temple of God. That's where this boy was raised, going to the temple. Going to the temple back then, today we don't have the temple, and as Christians we don't go to the temple. Uh, We are the temple, but it'd be similar to us going to church today. That's sort of like you can get, it's not the same thing, but you can get sort of the idea here. And that is where people go to corporately worship and praise God. In a way, he might say, we might say today that, um, uh, Joash grew up in church, and that's sort of like what it was. He grew up in church. Going to church is not only good for Christians today, but it's commanded by God in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. A second thing that we can learn from this, um, his story at this point, his uncle Jehoiada taught him God's word frequently. The guy's a priest. That's part of his job having daily bible studies he's hearing constantly the word of god so he's having bible studies and it was a way of life for him i mean he grew up there and it should be for us too it amazes me how many people long to hear and i hear this so many times i wish i would know what god would say to me on this i wish i knew god's opinion on this i wish i knew um, what god has in meaning for this um, or some people just say, "I wish God would just talk to me." Well, it, it it just amazes me because He's given us 66 love letters, telling us how to live, telling us His opinion on stuff, and how we should live our lives and how to have an abundant life. It's all there, but people seldom ever look at that. A third thing we can learn from this is Joida, is this priest's uncle, taught him to pray. I mean, that's what priests did too. So. King Joash is learning from an early age about prayer. The temple was the house of prayer. Prayer is one of the most important points of growing spiritually. A fourth point that we can make. Jehoiada taught him to sacrifice to God. King Joash grew up witnessing daily sacrifices being offered to God. These are acts of worship. Thus, he grew up worshiping God. That has a major impact on him. After all, he he reigned for 40 years. A fifth point, Jehoiada guided young Joash in his job as king. I mean, look at what he did. He he had a godly man, uh, King Joash had a godly man watching over him daily. He would be there to answer his questions, to give him advice. I mean, this is a great opportunity to have somebody right there doing all that for him a lot of people really need that today. Sixth, Jehoiada showed young Joash what to make as priorities in life. I mean, after all, he was raised with the Word of God, basically, as his conscience. Joash himself showed uh, this was happening when we read that he was upset young Joash was upset that God's temple was not being repaired as fast as it should have been after what King um, the evil queen did. she just you know ruined the temple and set up a new temple and she let this one uh, the God's holy temple go to go into you know um, ruin so it's being rebuilt but it's not being built fast enough. We read this in second chronicles chapter 24 verse 6. So the king this is young Joash summoned Jehoiada the chief, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax levied by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the congregation of Israel for the tent of testimony? So he's calling out his uncle for a moment here, saying, how come you guys aren't following the Word of God as closely? Hey, uncle, you taught me that the Word of God is to be followed. How come you're not doing this? Let's bring in this tax. Let's get this this temple rebuilt to honor our God. I mean, hey, that's really inspiring from this. The seventh point we can make uh, from the same passage here, we read that King Joash learned how to tithe. And he was faithful in giving. Obviously, if he's making these commands, he's into this. Giving to the Lord is a form of worship. And Joash obviously learned that from his uncle. How cool is that? Eighth point we can make Jehoiada guided young King Joash even in his dating life. Did you catch that before? I bet you did. He helped him find two good wives now I am not saying that was the most correct thing to do I'm not saying that all men should have two wives uh, some men struggle being a good husband to just one and some some husbands fail at that so easily so um, that might not have been the best thing but that's sure certainly better than what Solomon did by having hundreds of wives hundreds of wives so um, he got him two but in any way he got um, he helped him find two appropriate women that would be good um, queens for this young king. So it helped him out in that, in his dating life. How cool is that? I mean, who helps? Uh, Parents are supposed to help out. Accountability partners, though, have a major play in this too. Somebody to help keep us close to God. Like, okay, if you're going to, I know you're getting to the age of dating and stuff. Well, this is how God perceives dating, or this is what God wants you to look for in in a spouse, you know this is really good stuff here. A ninth point, Joida taught King Joash how to be a good father to his children. Now you might be saying, where did I where did I read that? Well, actually, we do find this not in what I've read so far, but something that's coming up when you start reading about. Um, in the very next chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 25, we start reading about King Joash and his sons. And it, um, we know this, that his son Am, um, Amaziah was considered a good king in Second Chronicles 25 too, He's actually called a good king. And a lot of the kings of Judah and most in Israel were not good kings. So to get that kind of endorsement from God, that's pretty good. In short, folks... Jehoiada had major influence on this young man. We should all have somebody, some person, who can observe us frequently, hold us accountable, give us advice. But as with all people, Jehoiada was human, and this godly man, this priest, he dies. And when he died, King Joash had him buried actually in the royal cemetery. What a great honor. We read that in 2 Chronicles 24, 15 and 16. But when Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died, he was a hundred and thirty years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel toward God and his house. So, King Joash had a great accountability partner, somebody who was older than him, someone much wiser than his peers. And even when he died, he honors him, even placing him in the royal burial ground. That's quite amazing. So let's review the uh, the obvious here because it's so important. As long as King Joash had his uncle Jehoiada beside him to guide him, his spiritual growth and devotion to God was untarnished. She gets that. That's so important. As long as King Joash had his uncle Jehoiada beside him to guide him, his spiritual growth and devotion to God was untarnished. Now, this is why many young people who work in a Christian environment have, shall we say, a spiritual advantage over those that don't, and why I encourage young people to get involved with a good biblical Christian environment, like a camp or a study group or a, a club of some sort. Working in, in a Christian camp over the summer, um, that's a great time to grow spiritually, and I really encourage that. As I said, I worked in Christian camping for over 20 years, and um, I, I've seen firsthand how important it, it, it can be in young people's lives. Now, what are the spiritual advantages I'm talking about? Well, let's just examine them briefly. If you work in a Christian environment or in a club or if you're in a really close Bible group, even if it's adults, I'm talking to even adults here, getting involved in a, in a small group session or something, you get encouraged, you get challenged to read your Bible often. You're apt to pray more. Yes, you're apt to pray more in these things. You pray at these groups, but I have noticed with people who have told me, I didn't pray much until I got involved in the group, and now my prayer life has really grown. Well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. In these groups, working at a camp or in a small group or something like this, you have people who are—well, they can be role models. If they're older, they can be there to help advise you, but also not just to help you, but to hold you accountable. You can relate to some pe- people, you know, particularly with one person. If you can get a one-on-one, somebody you really trust, you can relate honestly to them. You're in a safe and loving environment. I mean, and and, and if if you're in a Christian camp or something like this, you have Bible lessons made for you, set in a schedule for you that you can attend. That's one thing that I absolutely love, working in the camp here in, in the North Woods. Uh, one of my absolute favorite duties over the 23, 22 years I worked there was um, that I got to, to lead Bible studies, write Bible studies, and teach them to high school and college um, people, even adults, I did this. I mean, when you're in a situation like that, having these Bible lessons made for you, that really helps. Um, you're isolated from distractions like... TVs, from computers, your cell phone for a while, any type of media, when you get involved in these studies and and start working on the Word of God and studying it. Life's pressures and social issues are much more easily handled when others are alongside you to help you. Many find it more easy to fit in in a Christian environment or in a Christian camp. Um, and in most cases, you get the opportunity to be spe- uh, be fed spiritually by Bible teachers. There's great advantages to that. I mean, we just listed I don't know about nine or ten here, but there are great advantages to all of this. Now, the sad part of the story is what happens after Joada dies and is removed from King Joash's life. I mean, just look what happens to this guy. Now we're in Second Chronicles, chapter twenty four. Starting at verse 17, we're going to read to 19. And it reads Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. The wrath of God came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. He sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not he but they would not pay attention. Now, first of all, you see what happened? His mentor, his accountability partner is gone. So who's he start listening to? And in verse 17, it tells us, it says the word princess of Judah, in the English Standard Version, princess of Judah. Now, that does not mean the sons of Joash, as we would refer to the son of a king being a prince. That's not the word here. If that confuses you, which it probably does to many people, again, whenever you get confused by a word in the Bible, go back to the original language. The Hebrew word for princess here, um, used here, is the word sar, which means a head person. It can mean an official, it can be a captain, it can be a chief, a general, or a governor. It's it's an official person is what it is. So it was the people that were the social elite or the leaders. That's who this is. That's who's being described, who turns his head away. Let me just put it to you in a different translation. Here's the God's Word translation of Second Chronicles 24, 17. After he died, the officials of Judah bowed in front of the king with their faces touching the ground. Then the king listened to their advice. You notice that he's listening to their advice. Advice of who? The officials. The officials of Judah. So in other words, he's turning to them for counsel and advice now. No longer listening to the priests or people who are working in the temple. He's going with these people. And they quickly turn him away from worshiping God and instead worship these idols like Asherim. Now you might be wondering, who in the world is Asherim? Canaanites had a lot of gods, um, and a lot of them had more than one name. Same god, just different names, different cultures and stuff. She is the idol also that's called Asherah, uh, the the, uh, god of the Phoenicians. She is the god of love and seduction. Um, She was strongly worshipped by Queen Jezebel, uh, who was from Phoenicia. Asherah was a consort of the Baals. Uh, Worship of Asherah involved, I hate to say it, but sexual orgies performed in public. It was a very sensual and sexual um, religion. Shockingly now, idol worship is reinstituted in Judah by the very man who demolished it and prohibited it just years before. Did you catch that? The same guy who gets rid and orders the destruction of all these temples and gets rid of this and tells the country we're only going to follow the true God, makes a covenant, now he turns his back on God totally and begins worshiping idols. Now, we can learn what can happen when the person holding you accountable is no longer around. we just seen it happen. But you know, as bad as it is, the story gets actually worse. After sending, as it says here in scripture, after sending many prophets to call King Joash back to the Lord, all to no avail, God sends his cousin, yes, his cousin, the son of Joash's tutor. Yeah, the, the same guy we've been talking about, Jehoiada, his son. And he sends this guy to King Joash to call him back. This is picked up in Second Chronicles 24, verses 20 through 22. And look What happens? Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him. And by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the houses of the Lord. Thus, Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. I mean, can you believe this? How did King Joash reward his mentor, his accountability partner, his teacher, Jehoiada? He himself, this King Joash himself, signs the order, the contract to have him murdered. Because of this, God allows King Joash to come under attack from the Syrian army that conquers then Judah. Again, 2 Chronicles twenty four twenty four, Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered them into their hand a very great army, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus, they executed judgment on Joash. So during the battle, what's taking place here? During the battle between the Syrians and the kingdom of Judah, Joash's troops, King Joash is actually wounded someplace in this battle. And he is now recovering but while he's recovering, he is murdered on his bed for what? For issuing the, the contract, the decree to have his cousin, Zechariah, the son of his mentor, Jared, uh, Jehoiada, murdered. And we read that in Second Chronicles 24-25. And when they departed him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David. but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Did you catch the king, Joash, was not even buried in the royal cemetery where all the other kings were, and even his mentor was buried there? No. He had changed so much that he was not even honored in his death. I find it so interesting that he wasn't buried there, but his mentor was. Now, here we conclude. Like I say, it starts off as a great story, but it really ends tragically. And it concludes a great example, but shows us a great example of how important it is to have an accountability partner in our lives. For as long as King Joash's mentor was present, he followed the Lord. When separated from his accountability partner, he fell away into sin and darkness. In his book, there's a lot more to health than not being sick. Bruce Larton Larsen, excuse me, Bruce Larson writes, quote, "Behavioral sciences in recent years have expounded the simple truth that behavior that is observed changes. People who are accountable by their own choice to a group of friends, to a therapy group, to a psychiatrist or a pastoral counselor, to a study group or a prayer group, are people who are serious about changing their behaviors, and they are finding that change is possible. Studies done in factories have proven that both quality and quantity of work increases when the employees know they are being observed. If only God knows what I'm doing, since I know he won't tell, I tend to make all kinds of excuses for myself. But if I must report to another or a group of others, I begin to monitor my behavior. If someone's keeping an eye on me, my behavior improves. Yes, Bruce Larson wrote it very, very well. I think that's an excellent statement. If we're being observed, we live differently. We are more apt to do what we're supposed to do. Too often, we have people who think that they can self-govern their lives. And even Christians think, well, I don't need to, to have an accountability partner. I don't need anybody to check up on me. I'm doing fine um, and everything, but we have seen in this lesson here today. That's not the case. It's always good to have somebody that you can talk to, someone who can counsel you. And as King Joash found, using his peers is not just always the best example. It's best if you can get somebody who is a little more wise, a little more experienced than you are. So look for that. Look for someone in your life that can be like that. And you'll find your Christian walk a lot easier to go through when you have good counsel through the whole time. So, Lord, I ask right now that you just help us all to find these accountability partners or a group that we can be with, maybe not just one person, but with a group if it's possible like that, that we can be honest with and talk to people about our troubles and our problems and our temptations, and, Lord, that we can get good counsel from them. Uh, Help us to find someone like that. And Lord, help us to find people when we do that are really good examples who are walking close with you. I thank you for the partners I've had, and uh, they have been instrumental in my life, and not just became my accountability partners, but Lord, that they have been very, very good friends, and I thank you for them. So help us all in Jesus' name, amen. Just before I go, I want to say one more little thing. Um, today, I was awakened by notice that one of my mentors um, passed away this weekend. Um, his name was uh, Reverend Buell Meadows. He was a very special man to me. He was the pastor of the church when I was in elementary school. Um, up until I was in high school, I attended there and um, at this church, Trinity Bible Church, in. Um, he was instrumental. He was a very, very godly man. Um, he was the first person who ever really told me that he, he said, Michael, I believe that God has given you a gift of teaching the Bible, and you should use that. And he so thought that, that he actually twice, I was allowed to preach Sunday sermons on Sunday evening services, um, when I was just in high school, sophomore in high school. And, uh, um, he allowed, graciously allowed me to have that experience. And then afterwards, he counseled me. He gave me some guidance on it, critiqued me, if you will. And uh, those were special moments. He was a good friend and uh, somebody I could relate to. And it was with him that I prayed um, when I was young that, Lord, I, I wanna dedicate my life to you. And he was the, the guy who was instrumental in that. So Buell Meadows, you probably never heard of, but all of you who have heard my voice in any of my lessons or videos or anything, you've been influenced by him also because he had a major influence in my life. So I just wanted to honor him today. He was a good servant and now he's home with us, Lord. So with that, until we meet again, take care and may God bless.
0: Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.